It's getting hot in here, so, so let's talk about some games. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 244 of the Crate and Crowbar. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight in this sweltering summer evening, I'm joined by Tom Senior. Hello. Alex Wiltshire. Hello. And Tom Francis. Hello. It's the maximum number of very sweaty gentlemen mm. we could cram into our dining room. It's very room. humid in here. I love mm. how in on our podcast you can listen back to every summer episode and we complain about the heat <laughs> every single time. Yeah. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Really? Mm. Um, well, you know, we had an additional adventure. Probably the, the most important game we've all played this week was me attempting to dictate how to assemble the pod equipment because we'd arranged ourselves in such a way that I couldn't reach any of it, <laughs> but, which was solvable by any of us swapping chairs. But it's too hot to swap chairs so i just sort of said plug that oh it's in the wrong let's plug that on in the click arm track <laughs> until it was all done how did you find that experience alex is primary kind i think it's of one of the most satisfying puzzle solving ex- uh, experiences of uh, my recent life thanks very much it was like a room escape except we didn't get to escape this <laughs> room. if anything it ensured that you were going to spend at least two hours in here. we're all actually further entangled yeah, by wires absolutely. into our seats now so it was a room contain it's yeah. basically <laughs> the end of superman 2 where everyone gets sort of consumed by the technology we didn't mm. know yeah 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 hack mode on sale right now anyway speaking of that <laughs> it's the steam sale isn't it we, who yep. knows what the news is it's probably that steam sale did you did you, did you buy anything oh yes i bought some things what I, did you I, buy Tom? I, I, how I would, out of 10 was it it was uh some sixes <laughs> has to be said some sixes but i think i found a nine <laughs> i think i found a, a, a glittering nine in, in there <laughs> I, I had a weird urge to buy a load of beat-em-ups for some reason I've, I've not played a good beat-em-up for ages and recently i've been hankering for soul caliber and soul caliber 6 is coming to pc later this year and i, I like to imagine that it will kind of revive my dreams of enjoying soul it's, it's not it is not going to make you 15 again this is the game <laughs> this is the game i'm going to learn this is the one <laughs> this is the one where every combo will be mine yeah i'm gonna actually finally do it i'm gonna get my own muscle memory back and i'm, be, I'm gonna be good at a fighter uh and and, and I, I know i know deep down that's not gonna happen i know that intellectually i i'm past my my prime such as it ever was on the gamecube playing as mitsurugi in uh, soul caliber 2 uh but i still do enjoy a good fighter and i, mm. I really love beatups that have good single player AI especially that will basically it doesn't have to be good AI to really test me I'll be honest but uh, some games are much better than others of this and I think I found some good ones I uh, I bought Guilty Gear Xard Xard hyphen no longer hard hyphen <laughs> Revelator in all caps hyphen uh, yeah, there's a second item after that. Is does it say hyphen or there's just a line? line? It's, just, uh, it's just hyphen, revelator, hyphen. Uh, it's a oh, guilty gear. So like, it's like an emphasis on revelator. Yeah, revelator. Does it, okay, what, does so it let, what, what does it let you know about? Uh, well, uh, it's very complicated. <laughs> I don't want to kind of <laughs> railroad, this, railroad this whole thing into well, a guilty hey. gear thing just yet. Because <laughs> I, I'm so, wondering what you all have been buying as well. Re- re- revelator sounds like a device, like, of something, like a travelator. <laughs> and that reframes my impression <laughs> of what the guilty gear actually was. <laughs> it delivers revels to you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, 
but and the, that is a, that is a but guilty it's only treat. The ones you don't like, and that's what he's guilty about. So, so uh, the guilty gear, fucking in this, orange ones. That's the cog that delivers the revels. <laughs> the guilty gear in this case is a man called Soul Bad Guy. <laughs> I spent all day writing a video game, and I wish Soul I had. Bad guy. Guy. He's 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 the, the the gear that is guilty in this game. <laughs> Soul bad guy. And What's he, is he going to be your main? Oh, absolutely. He's like the easiest <laughs> one to play. He's got a cool haircut. He's got like a thing that looks like a sword, but he puts like bullet shells into it. And that makes no sense. But sometimes when he does stuff, it, everything catches fire. And that's because of the bullets he put in there. <laughs> because this is an anime game, Alexa. And this is how anime works. <laughs> does, does the gear in this have anything to do with Metal Gear? Nope. It's, like, is there... <laughs> Is it Japanese? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> is there kind of a Japanese convention of using that word in a particular way? That Usually it means in, machine. Right, yeah. And or relates to. So this is the whole thing. <laughs> I really don't, get, don't want to get too into the filter gear because... So oh you're not God. into the law. So, holy shit, there's so much law in this game. There's so much law. Uh, and so this game, I, I saw that it's a brilliant beat em up it really is uh, has some some of the best most kind of insane unique character designs and you know that you, you'll find in any beat em up uh, but the story mode in this game i clicked on it and it popped up with a, a little pop-up appeared and it said um controls you don't need to know any controls for this bit basically i was like what what do you mean so i need to it's know cutscene. i need to know how to control and it's like, the whole story mode is like a 90 minute weird film <laughs> I was joking but uh, that's what it actually is and I was like, story mode sit down and watch your fucking story <laughs> like, wow this is like what I'm always complaining the game should do is like when you know there's some horrible scripted sequence where they clearly want to make a movie scene but it's supposed to be interactive so they like get you to play but you keep doing the wrong thing and they keep restarting you because you didn't play the scene outright and I was like why don't you just make a fucking film and then make a game separately yeah and then, I guess they did let's be honest exactly what they did Someone other than Hideo Kojima called your bluff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I accidentally pressed on the story mode and uh, thinking that it was going to be some sort of typical linear series of fights with maybe some cutscenes in it and etc. etc. But then it got in, it got into it really fast. And it was like, there is a god called, I can't remember the names of any of this because it's like terminology central. It's god just, Satan. Like, there's a, a god, but also another god. Um, but there's also a kind of, uh, a kind of Metatron that's been fused with the memories of a, a woman and now she's kind of a machine but also that woman but which means that basically she's competent but then sometimes sometimes she reverts to childhood and becomes like really childish maybe she's the guilty gear a weird thing that anime does all the time mm, by the way yeah. uh, and it's full of that stuff and then suddenly it cuts to a scene where there's uh the leader of uh, an enormous like a, a, a victorious army of angelic beings and, and she's talking to a woman who's fused into a giant enormous monster and her tits are out for no reason and i was like wait a minute <laughs> you've tricked me into watching anime <laughs> and now i'm in this, this anime zone. game has tricked me into watching anime <laughs> but, uh, and uh, that was the real guilty <laughs> <laughs> i haven't been able to penetrate it yet because it's just too it's like a you know like a cream egg is just too dense and just too <laughs> the much impenetrable of, cream egg <laughs> famously <laughs> difficult to get into it's, the, it's, it's like a, a cream egg of pure anime and it's just i can't just physically handle it do you think that it's saved where you got to or like you're going to have to watch it, oh, it saves it saves exactly where you got to like mid conversation mid like wherever <laughs> you are because it's like hey we know you're going to come back is this a, like is just this to like, figure the shit out you're going to come back is this pre-rendered or is this something it's a really interesting mix of uh, so the, the one of the coolest conceits this game has is that all the fighters in it are actually 
beautiful 3D models. The way the game is actually uh, formatted is that you see them on a uh, 2D plane all the time, and they're animated at the uh, frame rate that a 2D anim- uh, fighter would be. <laughs> so you're actually watching 3D uh, fully formed polygonal fighters from a 2D perspective, and you're completely fooled by this. It looks like a hand-animated 2D game. And then when something exciting happens in the battle, you do you execute a special move, suddenly the camera pops into three-dimensional, and, and it's an amazing oh. trick. It's so cool. And it really sells, like, it suddenly takes you out of the assumptions that you kind of had while you were playing the game, and it rotates all the way around them, and they do a massive uppercut, and amazing kind of... The game, as a fighter, looks unbelievable. Like, it's incredible. Like, it's a beautiful interpretation of uh, like anime concepts of how power is shown in fights torn from like Dragon Ball Z and you know uh, this also exists in like the Blast Blue series and loads of other typical anime fighters as well and and actually when you're in combat it does this stuff like fucking seamlessly it's beautiful in the cutscenes it kind of uses those 3D models to actually create kind of anime scenes without having to actually pay animators <laughs> to hand draw 2D animations from scratch mm. so they, they're actually able to be much much more generous than your typical beat-em-up would be so this trick is why you've got a whole movie in there yeah that's right pretty much i think that's kind of what enables them and it's, it's a mixture of actually like really nicely animated 2d expensive cutscenes uh, interspersed with these uh 3d sort of faux cutscenes, uh and it's very it's increasingly hard to tell the difference with each guilty gear game like it is amazing the job they do is this the second time we've talked about guilty gear yes i talked about guilty gear sign i think a oh few years that's back. the one i couldn't tell <laughs> you know because they're never just guilty gear 4 is it no no it's it's always like increasingly strange all caps lots of hyphens mm. addendums to each i think i played thing. one on wii years and years ago mm. but like didn't i don't remember the name of that at all they've, they've always been solidly 2d fighters until they are still 2d fighters in terms of how you control and how it all works but uh the since sign uh they've introduced this 3d element that means they can do a lot more uh, in terms of story and every I mean, <laughs> great <laughs> yeah. what i needed was more story and guilty gear uh but i as a kind of riot of just weird concepts it's incredible like they're uh, in the middle of um so the backtrack so the story mode is just a film it's just a kind of weird film lots of cutscenes. uh but actually you go into a weird corner of the menu and you see a, a word episodes and it says that every single character has like a 10 fight episode that starts and ends with its own bespoke cutscene and it's only kind of like mm. a justification for the, why the character's there and what they're doing that's and, how story mode used to be in fact think yeah yeah and it's, it is in there and it's kind of hidden away but the, the fact that they've got these 3d models that animate so well uh means that they can actually put fairly decent cutscenes in even though it's total nonsense guys like, i don't want to give you the impression that this is like some <laughs> sensible or useful plot or anything but i'm kind of really impressed by mm. how much is kind of in there and how much they actually give you and how i'm so is. pleased there's so much of incomprehensible <laughs> weirdness going on it, it's fantastic there's a, a character who is asleep in a bed and the bed is a robot <laughs> that fights for the character in the bed. It's never quite clear. It's like he's dreaming. Why is uh, yeah, the character necessary? Uh, and he, you don't know whether the robot's controlling the the character and has it prisoner, whether the, the character is actually controlling the robot. Oh. Oh. Uh, do you want to guess what the character's name is? Sleepy Jim. <laughs> no. Uh, bowl bed guy. <laughs> Close. Um... 
No, I got nothing. Batman. So I knew I wasn't going to get there. His name is Batman. <laughs> and that's his deal. That's all that, that guy does. That's all he's about. That's what he thinks. That's, that's his thing. Uh, which is magnificent. There's, uh, the, the cast of characters is so, so bizarre that, like, I could spend all evening describing it and it would be quite entertaining, but it would waste everyone's time. You merely adopted the bed, bed man, <laughs> and I was born in it. Sometimes the bed summons other shadow beds that land on you in the middle of combat, and I'm like, that's not how robots or machines work. Either. All beds. All beds. Even, all beds. <laughs> Indeed, all beds. Uh, it's, uh, it's delightful. I, I love, I love Guilty Gear. It's actually, a, it's actually an excellent fighter. Uh, it's really, uh, it's pretty, it's gotten pretty big at, um, FightCon, no, Evo, Evo. Evo, yeah. It, it, <clears throat> it is a legit competitive fighter and it has some really cool ideas with stupid names. So there's something called the Roman Cancel, <laughs> which is, I think, a, a staple of the Guilty Gear series. Yeah, I remember having to, like, somebody <laughs> said that to me and I thought they were joking. Like, I was talking about the weird technical terms and they sort of talked about, I think it was like the, the backwards Roman Cancel, the inverted Roman Cancel. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no way that's real. <laughs> Can you explain was. how it relates to Romans? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, basically, what it is, it, it's uh, it's kind of a thing that has existed in fighting games for a long time that has been turned into an explicit mechanic. So uh, the idea is that you know by performing certain moves in combos, um, you could shave a couple of frames of animation off a kick in order to start another combo. And basically, that's been uh, you know made official in this game, and uh, you can you build up enough kind of power bar as you punch people and get punched, uh, and then that gives you enough to say after like four hits a basic four hit combo you'll hit the roman cancel which is like left bumper uh, and you'll kind of like flex and then like a, a, a bolt of electricity will go across you and it'll basically freeze the action and freeze all the frames and then you get to c- continue your combo or execute a special move so it's about kind of interrupting your combos to get you know chain other things on that you wouldn't otherwise be able to chain it's actually kind of it's a very technical fighting uh, like pro fighting game technique that's just been turned into a, a relatively accessible uh, thing that anyone can use in the middle of a Guilty Gear game. The game also has instant kills, which is pretty extraordinary for a, a fighter. Like if you get to the right situation and perform a certain special move, it instant, will instantly kill the other person. That's always been part of the Guilty Gear series since two, as far as I remember playing it. Um, it has all these interesting ideas and crazy characters and... How is that balanced? <laughs> It's hard to get them off. I would open with that if it was me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's basically, what's, I think at a competitive level, once you've learned what those moves are, you're never going to fall prey to them really. And they, like, that could be like, for example, a very short, short range thing. They're very conditional. You have to have like a full help, like max kind of power bar and stuff to do it. Right. Um, and that's how you, but the fact that that's in the game, that's always a threat and kind of there is kind of braver than many other beast yeah. are, you know, and it takes all these risks and does all these different Cause things. Cause that does sound out on the surface, but thinking about it, like most, most fighting game have like super moves and things. And like one of, you know, the joke about the injustice series was always like when, I don't know, Zod would fly someone into space and then punch them back through the moon <laughs> at the earth and they would lose 80% of their health. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? As opposed to, you know, being obliterated. Mm. Yeah, there's 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 always that potential lurking there. I, I love that. It's also it speaks to a kind of I love like Zatoichi. I love samurai films where combat is just like one slash and it's over, mm. like your jumbo mm. and stuff like that. And I'd, I'd love to see more combat systems kind of embrace that concept where if you really do have that much of an advantage over your opponent, it's not about just like knocking down a health bar bit by bit. Hell, you've got them. That's it. 
is done uh, yeah. and and this game has that in there and i remember playing guilty gear 2 and there was an awesome one where I actually kind of really played into that where uh it's always like really quite cinematic uh the actual special abilities and stuff uh, and there's a there's a samurai you'd play where if you got this off uh the camera would zoom back and they would both the characters would be represented as silhouettes behind like a paper wall uh of like a, a japanese you know uh building basically you know they've got the paper mm. walls and stuff like that and then you see one of them just dart past the other with an, an unsheathed their samurai sword and then they were just like the other person would explode that's the instant <laughs> of death and it is that sense of just like well you know if you, if you really are that that much better than your opponent like, it's done and it's over and that's really really cool and mm. the, the game captures such an awesome sense of kind of style and power with its moves and the way it kind of does its special moves i, I really like it a lot it's a, it's a banger. I think it's brilliant. No, I think it's like a, that's my nine out of 10 accidental, not an accidental discovery. Cause I always knew that Guilty Gear was good, but this mm. is, this is so good. 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 Do you think the new Soul Calibur will have the lady from Soul Calibur 2 who could spam that move where she knocked a dude's legs apart and then smacked him in the balls with the Ivy? halberd? No. Oh. It was like the lady. Oh, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've forgotten her name. Um, and I say smacked him in the balls, obviously that, that depends on the, the opponent fighter, mm. but that was really my experience of fighting games. It wasn't like one hit, you know, combo finishes. It was a helper to the balls. It was, over yeah, and over again. it was the future humanity. It was taking it in turns to play as that character and then banning that character mm. from Soul Calibur 2, I think, because that, uh, that was the experience of losing a fight is that you get locked into the endless <laughs> halberd cycle and there's no, you can't get off. <laughs> yeah, there are a few bad ones to talk about too. There's Raphael, who is like a fencer. Oh god, he, he would like, sort of just like poke you in the face, right? Poke, 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 and <laughs> yeah, yeah, just there's poking in the face. And it's just like, it's just like if you poke someone in the, the face with the sword enough, they, they die. They yeah. die. Yeah. <laughs> and get really irritated. Annoyed, that. so annoyed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. It's Good not game. like real combat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. That was, that was your Steam, Steam sale. Sorry, I can't speak. Yeah, see, I, that was, um, my, uh, the, the result of my, the best result of my Steam sale kind of meanderings. I, I actually finally bought Dead Cells properly as well. I had to play it on the press account <laughs> for too long. Um, and, uh, I got killed. That was your real guilty gear. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I am the real soul bad guy <laughs> of this piece, this drama. It's more like sale bad guy. <laughs> anyway. I bought three things I didn't play. <laughs> Should I tell hey, yeah, tell that's us the classic Steam experience. Um, well, I haven't played them yet. One of them I'm not going to play anytime soon, which is Streets of Rogue, um, which is a uh, sort of extremely emergent uh, top-down game about sort of like in a simulated town, and you have to like rob banks and stuff, but everyone is is um, kind of running their own AI, and there are lots of really uh, like weird ways to do things and mm. i've been on it for a long time and i just bought it because it was on sale dramatically but it's still in early access which is why i'm not going to play it yet so i'm gonna wait till that's done i also got the i can't remember what it's called now but the sequel to to the moon oh, oh cool i don't know what it's called no I don't remember <laughs> um which i i probably will play i actually didn't i played a bit Did of to like, the moon i didn't I go away through being it. a big to, to the moon no but the reviews are head. so good for the I sequel. like i started just, to play it about three times now I think the sequel is not like a direct sequel, right? It's not not sort of I like think sto- so. continuing a story. So that's I, I had the impression I could just jump into this without having finished the first one, um, and I always kind of felt like I didn't give to the moon as much time as I probably should have. Um, and the other one is Domina, which is that uh, gladiator game uh, with oh, a yeah. gorgeous art style. That's another thing I had my eye on for ages. Um, and then when it finally came out, I didn't buy it because uh, universally 
Um, it was getting absolute kicking from user reviews and they were all because it just didn't save at all. And it was like a sort of six hour campaign kind of thing. And if oh, you quit it at any point, you just oh, lost. Um, and they, at the time they actually, I think they tried to defend that decision and say, oh no, it's part of the design and yada yada. And then mm, because like real gladiators, don't after like months and months of bitter complaints, they finally added saving. So, yeah. um, that's the real Roman cancel. <laughs> yeah. Cancel your whole gladiator campaign. <laughs> Uh, so I bought that now uh, to reward them for doing the what I assume is the right thing without ever having played the game but <laughs> was it like a design decision presumably that's what they said and I wondered if it was if it was like a I remember thinking when they finally did add it ah so your story doesn't quite add up anymore <laughs> because I'm pretty sure they said either it was intentional or maybe they might have said it was like a technical restriction or something mm. but anyway it's in there now <laughs> good so it's probably all fine I bought a Steam game what did you buy you might have heard of it. Oh, no. <laughs> it's called Hack Mud. Oh, no. It's okay. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I um, uh, got a little bit of a grumble about this Hack Mud game yeah, in that um, I was playing it on my sort of non-game PC, my Mac, um, just because it's like yeah. what I work on. And, uh, Support for Mac, it's PC and... <laughs> Of not being very powerful, it's mm. got all these fancy, fancy uh, visual effects, mm. bloom and kind of like a monitor style kind of perspective kind Bend. of thing, yeah. <laughs> which killed my process and the whole thing was going, <gasps> like for a text editor, fundamentally. So, uh, yeah, you can I, turn that down. But I think, yeah, I figured it out. And the best, the the best thing is, yeah, when you, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. you have to run a script, which well, is uh, GUI, no, it's like, um, was it Ed? Ed GUI.VFX. It's, I think it's GUI.VFX. Oh, maybe it is. Maybe that's in 2.0. That might be true. Which is till tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) But that, but that's good. Like, I need to sort of get to background settings. Um, I really like it. I really like it. But I've, um, I am, I'm kind of ashamed to talk about it because, um, I'm right here. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm fucking terrible at it because I'm right in the middle of the tutorial and, and the people on the, the, the AI's talking of me. They gave me a puzzle and I couldn't figure out a password. And but it's cool. I really enjoyed playing it all the way through. Good. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I'm halfway through the tutorial. Actually, <laughs> is this an intervention? Yeah. <laughs> I have enjoyed it. I, there are little kind of bits where you can sort of go get a bit extra with it and kind of pause it. It's like it teaches you how to kind of hack into certain systems, and then it, it dangles one in front of you about uh, someone's fish. Basically, they like someone that was running their fish tank, and I was like well, you give me that command. There's no way I'm not hacking into that fucking system. And I was like, hacked into the system, feed fish. Oh, you fed the fish. Feed fish. Fed the fish. Feed fish. You fed the fish. And I've owned fish and I know what happens when you do this often enough. And then um, the the kind of, the, the, the you know, par- parental AI steps in and says, why do you p- pursue this path of cruelty? <laughs> and I was like, yes, you've recognised my actions. I, um, I clean the glass. <laughs> Oh, yeah. he, he told me that the uh, the algae eaters are angry. <laughs> <laughs> Good jokes. I like. I like that. <laughs> so I, sh- I can't take any credit for for the tutorial because that predates me because yeah. I came onto the game about six months after launch. Um, but if you like that sort of thing, ninety percent of designing for Hackmud is figuring out edge cases that players will try and making sure there's a dumb joke there when they do. <laughs> so I've yeah, and it's like yes. the, the, one of the little things about it is that um. Uh, if you try something that's off the beaten path, 
he comes up with a little sort of um, acknowledgement about saying uh, sentence proved or something. Sentence mm. proved, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, like, and then, like, and he shows you what percentage of people. You go, yes! There's yeah. some, like there are some, of people did that. Yeah. There are some surprisingly rare ones for that, mm. which is pretty cool. Yeah. Like, um, it's just a big test of lateral thinking, really. Yeah. Mm. Um, incidentally, if, if you enjoy, if you enjoy the notion that our text based video game has graphics options, you will love. <laughs> The dazzling post-processing we're introducing in Hackmod 2.0 live when you listen to this. Is he going to bring my computer to his knees? All of our, yeah, all of our, uh, all of our, uh, you know, uh, enhancement factors from Bloom to Bend, um, go up to 11 now. <laughs> Is the game locked to 30 FPS? Uh, I don't know, actually. How many pixels and polygons are there in your video Well, game? the good thing is you can make the hack mud window any size and it'll adapt. You can have yeah. it be a big column. You can have it be a very thin line. That's not good. But it's not locked <laughs> to like traditional resolution. It's not lost like 16 by 9 or 16 oh, by 10 or anything. Cool. It's, it's, it's just a free resizing window. And in 2.0, you can resize individual chat windows within oh. the game as well. <laughs> Quality of life features from 15-year-old MMOs in your text-based hacking computer game <laughs> today. I remember like Morrowind had a window-based interface and you could resize all the little windows. Oh, right. All the chat things. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying it's sad that games moved away Sean's from worked very hard. <laughs> Oblivion ditched that completely and it was all like fixed, I guess, mostly because it was um, designed for consoles. Mm. I um, did I did like with window management. There's that sound. Yeah, just Morrowind. You go back to Morrowind and it's so PC. It's like, this is definitely a PC. <laughs> yeah, game. yeah. There's that... Um, uh, What's that? Um, it's like a, a little dungeon crawler where you're well, you're kind of going over, on the overworld and that sort of thing. But it's all presented in this faux windows mm. style. Oh so, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. And you're kind of um, questing around and kind of like to bring up your health, you got to <laughs> open the little program that runs your head, like shows yeah, your health. Yeah, yeah. Well, the- and you're kind of <laughs> juggling windows and like. Uh, fighting, sometimes the jump, the window literally jumps across the screen, so you miss <laughs> your click. And yeah. It's like feeling like I've set up my workstation. Yeah. Now I'm ready for adventure. Yeah. <laughs> Which is how you should feel whenever you sit down at a computer to use like Office 1997 or something, right? And I, I got this enhanced because I, um, my, I, I broke my, uh, keyboard the other day, so I finally got a mechanical one. Mm. And, um, and it's kind of got, it's got mechanical keys and they're obviously they're nice and they also make feel every key press mm. no matter how mundane feel incredibly important <laughs> and kind of consequential so i thought yeah hack mud this has got to be celebrated thank you for thank you for playing a computer game it's very very kind um i haven't bought anything because i've been working on hackmud all week so <laughs> played a few things that aren't those games mm. don't know if, if we want to move on to what we've been playing yeah sure cool yeah. alex what have we been playing other than hack mud Let's go back to the to the land of the rising sun. I've been playing Lumines Remastered, mm. uh, which came out um, yesterday. Yesterday being Wednesday, no yeah. Tuesday. It doesn't matter, really, does it? Doesn't does it? Because it's out. <laughs> it's just out. Yeah. It is a remake, a remaster of the puzzle game classic, which originally came out on the, the PSP. Sony PSP. Yeah, I had it for the PSP, and it's reminded me about how fucking good that fucking puzzle game is it's so good it's a rhythm based puzzle game by the maker of uh res mm. uh, tatsuya misaguchi and um uh it's um it is it's difficult to explain so ba- ba- essentially you are um it's a sort of somewhat 
Tetris base in that you've got um, bricks coming down from the top of the screen and you have got to make blocks of four or more in order for them to clear. If you try to place um, a, a block in a column which is already filled, then it's game over. Hmm. Um, so that's the, kind of like the fundament, but it's all rhythm-based. Um, so with, which means that um, the the speed at which the blocks go down go down the window um is defined by the tempo of the music and uh the blocks are cleared in waves so every probably bar i don't know enough about music to to know it but Mm. um as the music plays a bar sweeps from left to right across the screen and as at the point at which that bar is at any time it's clearing blocks so you when you're making a, a match of blocks you're going to want to make sure that you've you've matched up the blocks before the bar has gone across so that it clears them if it's uh if it's in the middle of going across your thing as you as you as you complete your block of four you will um you're going to get part of them taken away so you've got to time your matches you've got to be very careful and then to maximize your score making combos and a combo is essentially making multiple squares as the in a single sweep of the bar mm-hmm. so so you're as you're playing to a lot of the time you're trying to follow making matches following the bar as it goes across so that when it starts the next sweep you've matched up loads of stuff for it to do then you get massive great um oh, bonus, score bonuses um and as you play the tracks change like so and it's all incredibly euphoric or well, no no it's not at all actually it starts <laughs> off with it's so wrong alex it starts off with this um incredibly euphoric kind of um sort of ibiza like house um uh which i can't remember the name of now but it's sort of it's very very upbeat and all of the little blocks are kind of orange and 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 uh and white and in the background it's kind of pulsing with the music and it's all lovely and and every time you do anything there are kind of uh, the sound effects are timed with the get with the with the music so you feel part of it like you really do yeah. feel like you're playing the music like while playing the puzzle game uh, but then a certain point that when that track ends it moves to a new track the, the whole skin of the game changes mm-hmm. so the blocks change color the background changes the, the tempo changes, the music changes, everything changes. And then you've suddenly got to adapt. You've got to suddenly go, okay, we're, we've changed. The next track after the first one is actually calmer and, 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 and the blocks are now white and green, green. I think. Yeah. I remember. <laughs> and they, uh, and the music is quieter and it's a lot more kind of, um, ambient and it's this kind of breathing time. You play that and it's much more visible. The, the 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 way that you can see the mm. matches is a lot more easy so um it changes the mood of the entire game like from how you play to what you can perceive and quite apart from the actual music experience itself oh, that's so good but then there are many other ways of doing it and and as you go through and if you can you know play well enough you'll go through some real bastard skins they're called skins these um each of the different kind of fundamentally levels mm. um there's one which um which is kind of like jazz flavored and it's got these circular red and white uh there are no rules anymore (laughs) and this one this one the drop rate goes up enormously from anything you've had before and so like you may have been had things under control until this point and and now like 
oh shit, now everything's moving a lot faster. It's sweeping across at the same rate, but now everything's, you've got to make your matches and drop stuff much quicker. The one after that slows down the speed that, that progresses across the screen. So now you're making matches and you're making vast combos, but all your fucking shit is staying on the screen and not getting cleared off. Hmm. And everything gets really full and you go shit, 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 shit and you're chasing the line as it goes across and then you're hoping you're making enough to better clear enough to better survive the next round and like so each of these kind of each of these skins is a really sort of tweaks the, the rules uh, tweaks the music tweaks the kind of tweaks the kind of like the emotional experience but also the mechanical experience and it's really fucking good and I'd forgotten just uh, the sense because I, rem- I remember it really took me back to being on a train journey. I think it was. It's amazing you should say that because yeah. I was just thinking, like, man, I'm back on the train from yeah. Salisbury to this London Waterloo in 2004. Yeah, it would be. So I, I played it. Dang. I remember I played it on the train to Bath to have an interview for Edge magazine. <laughs> wow. wow. And like, and I, it just, it just took me to this sort of, I don't know memory palace that mm-hmm. kind of like it. it was so good um everything's tightened up and clean and one thing that's very easy if you've played uh Luminez before there are two versions of Luminez floating around there's the original and then there was a like a, a sort of like a reissue yeah, I remember I can't that. Remember yeah. the name of um and the the remastered takes a rule that was actually introduced later on so there's a, a special block that, that, that will appear sometimes in, in what you're dropping. Um, which, which when, uh, so in the remastered one, it will be on a color. And when you drop it into place, any connected ones of that color will be cleared the next time, mm. the next sweep. So it will basically, it's like a super thing. It's it your smart just, bomb. It's your smart bomb. Um, but that's a very different rule from the original. The original, you had to make a match in order to activate the smart bomb. And the difference is there is that you could put it into place and you could plan for it. So you put it over here and then you kind of like bam, 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 yeah, you build yeah. up a massive, great sort of connected thing, set it off, you know, uh, by making that match, that initial match on the thing and you'd make a great big thing. In the new one, you've kind of you're consigned to it as soon as you drop it and that's kind of changes quite a lot of the rules not for not in a bad way i think i prefer the original way to mm. be honest but um but that, that's a pretty deep cut it is a deep it is a deep very, cut for anybody new to it how is it as a non-mobile thing because i mean yeah i associate it so much with travel and it's a great game, but how is it as a sort of like full screen sat down at your adventure battle station? It is, it, it's not something I would naturally play. I have to admit, or mm. at least I wouldn't, you know, when you're looking down your, your list of games and you kind of think, oh, it's not really a game I play on mm. my computer. Yeah. The experience of actually playing it, like it's, it's, it's wonderful to have it so big on the screen. Yeah. And kind big. of like on a, with nice speakers or maybe headphones or whatever. Mm. It, you know, it, it, it is actually the experience. It's it, once into it, it was great, but I definitely associate it with being a mobile game, like a game that right. you played on a on a on a little screen out and about. Um, it definitely doesn't feel like it's in its home, but that's not to say that it doesn't work perfectly. Mm. Oh, uh, incidentally, if you have a, a high refresh screen, mm. don't mm. run, don't don't run um, uh, G Sync. Well, no, you don't, don't run V-Sync. Oh. Because otherwise it, it, the controls go insane. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, uh, it, it's, but otherwise it's a, a good port. Mm. 
Mm. That's great. Have I not played this? And how have you not played this? Well, I don't Maybe know. You didn't it have a PSP. Like my perfect... <laughs> I didn't have a PSP, actually. That's why. I mean, it, it does. It definitely, it definitely encroaches on that perfect game kind of hmm. territory. Like, you can't see how it could be improved. It's like and a, de- it just a devil's daggers type, type thing where yeah. like, it yeah, says yeah, to yeah, do yeah. one thing and it just, like... It, it, it does it. Like, you might not like it. Like, there, is load, there are loads of music tracks in there which I think a lot of people won't like. Like, mm. and there's such a variety of music that, that there's definitely going to be tracks in there you don't like. Like, but if you like drop puzzle games and you like sort of being enveloped in sound and image and yeah, yeah. pulsing sort of things, then... If you want to play Tetris at a rave. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. But it's, yeah, it's definitely, you know, I can't see what they could do to it. I mean, I think that the music sounds... Give you an option for that smart bomb. Maybe. Toggleable that, smart But that's bomb, just right? a preference as opposed to... A, yeah, but know, what's wrong with choice, Alex? Yeah. Why do you hate choice? Why do you hate choice, Alex? I do hate choice. Mm. Well, in that case, why don't we choose to speak to Tom Francis? <laughs> glad that people do I don't that. like this choice. <laughs> Another reason to hate choice. But anyway, um, how has it... What am I talking about? How are you? Been, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm doing well. Um, I found myself looking at uh, indie stealth games... Uh, no, sorry. Indie stealth first-person games on Steam. Mm. Um I, I is that heard just of something? all of your tag queue or something? Well, I was, I don't know, I, I can't remember how I got down this rabbit hole. I think it was a game called Acid Spy that started me off. Someone found that on Twitter and it's a first person, um, uh, stealth game with it's sort some more abstract graphics. This game and actually most of the ones I'm going to talk about, um, look a bit like super hot in that or have that kind of aesthetic where they've modeled a person and the person is animated. But they just modeled the one person and they're mm. all one color and uh, that's as far as they're going to go, which is absolutely fine. Um, and, uh, I'm, it kind of recalls, uh, Neon Struct a little bit, which is David Pittman's first person stealth game. Um, but this one's much more kind of mechanics based and, uh, it's just kind of getting through arenas, trying to kill all the enemies and get to the exit. And I didn't click with it in the end. I was watching a video of it, like the developer playing it and they're amazing at it and they're, they're wall running and flipping over people and doing drop attacks and stuff and doing everything perfectly. And then I played it myself and it was just like, walk down. Oh, no, I've been seen. Oh, walk down. No, I've been seen and just resetting every time. And, uh, it's so knife edge. Just anything goes wrong at all. It's over. You got to start the whole level again. Um, so I didn't click with that one, but when I was looking at it, Steam said, um, maybe I'd like to play swords with sauce <laughs> i was like this is some weird like vr chopping game like i didn't understand what it, why it was recommending the that. worst possible recommendation <laughs> and out of curiosity for why it was recommending i clicked on it and the the signs did not get much better when like the latest news post is development on this has stopped at 0.2 <laughs> and Ooh. we've taken the word alpha off the title simply be- because we don't want to imply we're ever going to do any more work on it um but it had actually a load of reviews and uh they were largely positive and like man steam people hate it when you abandon your game so like this it's pretty impressive to have any kind of positive rating after that kind of story um and it's very rough um it really reminds me of uh like the golden age of modding Mm. when people just put all their fun ideas into one thing and they didn't necessarily have all of the skills that it took to make a thing, but they just kind of um, winged it. Um, and so it's a it's a first-person game. It is stealth or action, and you're just kind of like put in a 
one level's mansion and uh it's the mansion and the surrounding grounds there are enemies patrolling again they look like super hot enemies but they're black um Do you say it's a vr game or is it no it's not uh that was a misconception on my part because <laughs> i thought it was going to be about slicing things with the sword and you do start with a sword um but then any enemy you kill you can take their weapon um and it's almost a bit like sort of Rainbow Six or something in the way that like there's enemies patrolling on balconies and uh, there's a you know alertness system stealth system, um, and but th- like what you're given is just a sort of grab bag of just ideas the guy had or I don't, actually don't know who it's made by um, the development team had um, where like you start with just a sword but you have a your loadout is all your accessories. It's not your primary weapons. Your primary weapons are things you take off enemies, like shotguns and, and assault rifles and stuff. And sauce? Uh, no sauce. Oh, but... Uh, so when you kill people... Really, what kind of sauce are we talking? Are we we're talking, talking like, about the engine. The we? engine. Uh, right. No, it's spelt like S-A-U... Okay. It's spelt like spaghetti sauce. That's why... And I believe it's a reference to blood, because one of your starting accessories is a mop. <laughs> So again, grab bag of ideas that the developers thought were cool. Um, Has anyone ever called blood sauce? Uh, yeah, the mobsters probably do. <laughs> the mobsters. I love the, hey, <laughs> clear up that sauce. The de-escalation from your absolutely positive yes to mobsters probably do. <laughs> I just, so of course they do. I maybe. don't think that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and primarily I don't think that's true because... You can imagine a sp- spivvy kind of, you know... During the war, kind of person. But if you're talking about like, I mean, I I don't know exactly. If surely of all of the kind of stereotypical kind of like gangster archetypes who'd be unwilling to create confusion around the word source, <laughs> it would be your sort of war era Italian American gangster archetype. Surely that is a, a an environment where the word source is precious. Yeah, but it's more likely they'd be thinking about source at yeah, any given true. time. But we've we got these two concepts in our hits. life and they're meaningfully distinct, but we, we have the same word for them. Um, <laughs> it's limited, untenable, I tell you. Limited thematic noun set. Um, okay. Anyway, I think it's a reference to blood because they give you a mop. <laughs> Aren't you, you a gangster? You can use game. the mop to mop up blood and you can drag bodies. It's like, it's got features that you don't oh, really so you, need. So you, you need to, so the idea, no. the invited idea is that you would move the, drag the body yeah. and clear up. Yeah, your... you'll switch there from, oh, you need to X to the invited idea is to X. <laughs> it's significant. <laughs> it's just like, you don't need to hide bodies. You don't need to mop up the blood, but you can because it would be cool if you could. And so they made it so you can. Um, and yeah, you can drag bodies with proper ragdoll and stuff. Um, and it's, it feels like it's really like heavily supports stealth. But then it's also just a all-out action game where you know you can throw your sword at people. When if you like, someone um, is firing an assault rifle at you, and you just have your sword out, you can just slice the bullets out the air. Just keep having a right mouse button, you'll chop every bullet, but, and then you just wait for him to run out of bullets. And when he reloads, you stab him. Um, it's a very like uh, pro player game like that. Uh, you're just better than everyone else. Like whatever they can do, you can do better. Um, and fighting, mopping. Yep, both those things. Uh, other things in your gadget wheel are some like goggles that let you see through walls uh, to see enemies coming. Um, a there's standard throwing stars which just work as you expect. There's like tranquilizer darts you can throw at people. Uh, then there's like the sort of better version of a throwing star, which is like a circular saw blade. And when you throw it out after it's travelled like a couple of meters, it sort of gently seeks towards enemies so you kind of you almost can't miss with it you just throw it and it will kind of guide itself to the nearest enemy and stick in their head um there's something that's just called like i think it's just called the head kill 
<laughs> and it's a thing you put on the wall and when an enemy goes past it, it just kind of like attaches a rope to their head and it pulls them in and that kills them. I don't really know why. Um, the first well, they gadget. They become attached to the wall, do they? Yeah. They pull their head off. Yeah. Actually, now that I think about it, it reminds me a lot of the thing that in Death of the Outsider, those mm, traps that are yeah, people up. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's cool, like those. The first gadget I saw, the first gadget I used, which immediately sold me on the game was grappling hook. <laughs> which I'll take in any, in any game, but especially first person games. If you can do a grappling hook in a, in a decent way, I'm very impressed. This one is not, uh, uh like, super full featured it's just a kind of way of latching on to like a mm. high ledge and it's the game's got really good mantling it's got like multiple context sensitive different things the jump button does based on your relative location to a walls and ledges so like in a certain situation you can mantle because you're like waist high there's another situation where if you're like right up against a wall but you're looking in the right direction you can sort of do a scramble up it and then if you're not in either of those situations but you're against a wall you can kick off it and do like proper wall jumping stuff um and yeah, like you, the level's just like a single kind of building and surrounding grounds. It tells you how many enemies there are. When you kill them all, then you just go back to main menu and you pick a new level. Like it's just, it's almost like a multiplayer game in structure, but it's a single player game. Um, and, uh, it's a bit like Terrorist Hunt in Rainbow Six where you just have this number of enemies to, to eliminate. Um, which appeals to me immediately. Like I, I like the idea that, Everything is a known quantity. All the enemies are out there. Nothing's going to spawn. Nothing's going to despawn. Nothing's going to, there's no scripting. Um, and it's just take these people out however you want. Um, and yeah, I, the next level I did was, um, a harbor. And I figured out on that level, there's all these like, uh, cargo containers in the docks. You start on the docks and there's a, there's a ship in the dock and there's enemies all over everywhere. Um, and so I was using my grappling hook to kind of, like jump up onto these uh, cargo containers and get up to the highest stack so I could get a good look at the boat and then saw that the boat had a bunch of enemies on uh, but they're a bit more spread out than the ones at the docks and it's less of a labyrinth to like worry about sight lines and stuff and there's people up in like the cabin of the boat like the bridge I guess um, and I figured out a way to like use a silence pistol to take out a guy at the front of the boat and then do some kind of parkour stuff to leap off these cargo containers onto the front of the boat and then uh Drag his body somewhere, do a quick bit of mopping, get that blood off the boat. <laughs> the mopping action gets me. Did you, you, did you, to do. you did want to do that or did you have yeah, a bucket? Yeah. I just wanted to see it work. No, it's just like a, um, just a mop and you just like use it on the blood and blood vanishes. <laughs> mm. Um, but you know, uh, fair play to them. Heat signature has blood all over the place. Guards just don't notice it because we couldn't be bothered to come up with a mop mechanic. <laughs> so joke's on us, really. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's just really fun to figure out that, oh, it, this level is way more controlled if you go into the boat first and you take out just the guys in the boat and, uh, get up to the, the bridge, cause on the bridge there's snipers, and so you take them out from behind, and then you take their sniper rifles, and then you can snipe all the guys down on the docks with it. Um, and it, it clearly has a lot more capacity for stealth than I actually ended up using, um, cause planting those head trap things, <laughs> head kill trap mines, um, and stuff like that, and figuring out ways to do it all silently seemed pretty cool. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's really rough. Some of the levels are just like white boxed, you know, just mm. no textures. Um, that's part of the reason it's not being developed anymore is it, I think it was just one person and they were saying, um, uh, oh, glad it's really popular. Glad you guys really like it. It's clear you all want to develop it in those ways, but I would have to like hire some people for that and I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. It's cool. It really reminds me, did anyone play S mod for Half-Life 2? Mm, yes. 
Which one was that? This is the one where, like, it added the banana bomb from Worms, mm. and uh, you could throw scissors at people, and it was just a, a shitload of weapons that the developer thought would be cool to add to Half-Life, and so they just did, and there was no regard for uh, tonal consistency or matching up with the universe or anything. Is that the one that added, like, uh, Max Payne-style slow-mo yeah. wall running and stuff Yeah, you like could that. kick yeah. as well, like, Junior Girl. Right, yeah. Yeah, I love I ones like that. that. Yeah, me too. Well... <laughs> Swords with Source feels a bit like those days. People just added whatever the fuck they wanted to their games. <laughs> Lovely. A good suggestion. Right at the beginning of that uh, section when you said, I don't know how I got into this rabbit hole in that context, I thought, that is an amazing one-line pitch for a first-person stealth game. <laughs> <laughs> or a room escape. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. Or a room remain. <laughs> Tom, what have you been playing? Um, I don't know if you've heard of a game called Guilty Gear X. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a hat, man. <laughs> uh, but I, I just wanted to throw one more thing out there. Uh, so there's a character called Venom. And I just thought I'd put it out to the group and, and, and say, what do you think Venom's deal is? Beds. Um, it's not I'm, beds. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, hmm. So there's two possibilities. Mops. I'm going to answer this. Beds or mops? Not mops. Cyborg. Uh, no. Uh, okay. Pretty... Okay. All right. Has he got, right. A, has he got a large bondage femme fatale? Uh, surprisingly not, though. Actually, you're, uh, you'd have a 70% success rate those... with, <laughs> that <laughs> with this game, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, Halberd to the groin? Uh, Halberd to the groin is not part of this character's <laughs> repertoire. So, spider on head. A what, sorry? Spider on head. <laughs> spider on head. No, uh, the, the character's face That's is... That's spider on head, man. <laughs> <laughs> that character's face, the character's face is masked with a, a mysterious symbol. Okay, uh, Luchador. Uh, no, no, not okay. Luchador. Uh, Venom is the name. Uh, is it actually just Spider-Man? That, that Spider-Man character? No, it's not. It's uh, not. Okay. It's, it has nothing say, to do at all with I'm going to say... Does he heal people? It does not heal people. Adorable Studio Ghibli-style <laughs> monster friend. Uh, he's definitely a monster and, uh, is quite disturbing and not your friend. Okay. Ooh, monster, eh? Uh, a werewolf. No, I mean, Gen- might, genitals might with teeth kind of genitals business. With, no, Alex, no. That's interesting <laughs> that, that you went there, but no, it's not uh, that at all. At all. all right, I'm going to, it's, it's low hanging fruit, but I'm going to go for it. Just a big snake. It's just a big, just a big snake. snake. <laughs> just a big old snake. My name's Venom. I'm a snake. That's what I, no, it's yeah. not that. Uh, uh, so I, 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 no, basically, so this, this guy's deal is that he wears a mask and, um, he summons snookables in the air. <laughs> <laughs> not among and my top ten guesses his, come on his we could have got that weapon he wields a cue and what he does it is actually snookables uh, uh, yeah it, or, it's or, not just all billiards top if you prefer. shitting around Alex <laughs> this, is, this is guilty gear this is guilty gear and uh, so he, he summons the mid- midair and you can jump and attack with your pool cue and he'll he'll cue at, he'll you know, pop do, the ball at the enemy. And, uh, <laughs> Which hole does it go in? Uh, okay. hey. <laughs> I don't know. It just whacks off them and does damage, and you can combo off it. That's Whack. the main thing. Wax off. It whacks off them and then combo. <laughs> and you can combo. And then you summon more balls, and you uh, you 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 cue at them again. That's good. That's the character Venom in Guilty Gear: Exard Revelator. I'm thinking. Snooker player. <laughs> Venom, you say? Poor man. Yeah. yeah. Famously uh, athletic. He's, he's, he's okay. Why is he wearing a mask? Don't know. Well, I mean, if you went around doing that to people, you wouldn't want <laughs> that you know? CCTV picking you up, would you? Because how would you enter the Masters, whatever? Well, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's, it's Tom Cruise from, uh, yeah, you're not going to be 
you know, hustling people. Yeah. If you, if you, you know, you're floating cubals and you, mm. and you weird kind of attack Tom, moves. Tom Hardy's playing Venom, isn't he? He is. Yeah. I can't, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that now. Now that yeah, I know this, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm totally going to watch it. I'd watch that. Flying Tom Hardy <laughs> snooker people. With his, and, and <laughs> what voice will he put on for this film? It'll be, it'll, I'd like it if it was the one from Dunkirk. <laughs> it is a sort of very clipped, like, I've snooked him. Snooked him in. Over. <laughs> right in the, right up the arse. <laughs> and that's what I've been playing. Uh, I can good. see why. I know. I'm really tempted. Great. I'm really it's tempted. It's really fun. Because I remember seeing, I remember seeing um, one of the previous Guilty Gears and being utterly transfixed by the... the graphics because they are fucking amazing it is incredible and the tutorials in revelator are excellent they're really really good they really kind of lead you bit by bit through uh the <laughs> insanity that you're about to kind of lower yourself into <laughs> it's very good it's very good it's very good game because have you played anything at all i've played some stuff oh, well because so, i missed last week and then the week before that it was just the e3 armor i've actually got like a backlog of things um, so I appreciate that you guys spoke about Jurassic World Evolution on the last podcast. Mm-hmm. Is that is that right? Uh, did you go into loads of detail about it? Because I didn't listen yet. Yeah, I think we dug in for okay. about yeah, half now. All right, fine. I probably won't dig into that because I, mean, I know that Pip and I share all the same all the same problems with it. But uh, I, I did re- your security team seem to be kind of pro dinosaur? Um, well, they all all of the teams do, and not at the same time. Like, so this is. Um, I guess what I'd say about it is like, I find, I find its failures fascinating, genuinely, partly for the same reason that I find the failures of the new films fascinating. And I know you spoke about some of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom's vagaries <laughs> as a cinematic enterprise, but there's something really fascinating, uh, from a design perspective, I think, and maybe just to touch on it in brief, that on, on paper, Jurassic Park, theme park manager is an amazing yeah, one line yeah. pitch it doesn't work at all conceptually like think about it for 10 more minutes and you get to think like what never what is fun in a theme park management game is it operating a working theme park where you have creative freedom and a sense of control the answer is yes what never happens in the Jurassic Park film the theme park continues to run beyond the first act of the film. Whatever happens in a Jurassic Park licensed thing, the player gets lots of control over how they design and kind of do the thing. But the other thing is that Jurassic Park movies are basically like these kind of crazy contraptions where the most absurd things go wrong. And the first movie is good because there's absurd things that go wrong, but they're basically within the realms of a kind of logic system that you can just about pass from end to end. So there are, there are extravagances and, and it stretches belief in some ways but it, it works it's got that spielberg kind of like just go with it kind of thing element of trust so does the second one actually i've watched all of the jurassic park movies in the last week and a half <laughs> so this is fresh in my mind the rest of them starting with jurassic park 3 onwards enter this kind of like strange causal crazy space where like the whole movie doesn't happen if like a pterodactyl doesn't fart and cause someone to slip into a button that opens a door that makes the dinosaur fall down the stairs like like it's chaos theory right there yeah it is <laughs> it is it's but dumb and um, yeah, what if your kid learned acrobatics then used it to knock out a velociraptor yeah through a window or, or you know or like and, and this gets and then the new ones the Jurassic World movies are obsessed with this and something that occurred to me playing the new one is there's no space for that at all in, in, in Jurassic World Evolution there's no sort of simulation depth to it whatsoever it's very limited in what can happen um, to the extent that it becomes about gaming that bit on a certain point at which point it becomes the most un-Jurassic Park thing imaginable the best example of this is I got a mission uh, from my notoriously anti-dinosaur science team um, to breed 
a particular Velociraptor and then a particular Diplodocus, uh, one of the big, gently, gently necked, sneezy gentle ones. necky, sneezy ones. <laughs> um, and then enclose them together and make them both very uncomfortable for three minutes. <laughs> for, for some Just reason. For, for because, science. because of the needs, like, I mean, honestly, I, I would, I support any Jurassic Park thing that doesn't bother with a reason because the reason is always for money. The real use of these dinosaurs is something war, even though that's stupid, because why is that better than a gun? Like, why is it? And it's not. Um, but anyway, so, uh, and so on, pur- on paper, the, this, this is like a challenge of like, oh, you put these two incompatible species together and you keep them uncomfortable, but they can't escape. If they leave the pen, the timer is paused. So you got to keep them contained for three minutes while they're uncomfortable. So yeah, okay, that's a challenge, sort of. Except it's not a fun challenge whatsoever. They just break the fence, you repair the fence, you tranquilize them, you helicopter them back in, you repeat, and you'll eventually win it. It'll be really boring. So I I solved it by building a kind of uh like sort of diamond shaped pen split into two halves. So it technically counted as one pen for the purposes of they're both enclosed, but was really two pens. So they're separate, but they're enclosed without food or water. So they're in dinosaur prison. And they can't escape from this, so that will bring their comfort down quite quickly. The the the, Jurassic, the Velociraptor is much more of a diva than the Diplodocus, so its three minute timer will start a lot faster than Diplodocus, and they should put the Diplodocus in first and give it a bit of time to cook. So you do that, and then um, the Diplodocus don't give a fuck. It will have a little go at hitting the wall, and it'll just go to sleep. It's fine. It won't go to sleep because it's not deep enough for that to happen. But it'll sort of walk around. The, the Velociraptor can and will try and get out, and because. All walls are in evolution is a health bar measured against how unhappy the Velociraptor is. When it starts to headbutt the wall, it'll eventually get through it. It doesn't matter what kind of wall it is. A Velociraptor will eventually headbutt its way to freedom, just like in the films. Um, and, um, and so, uh, but there is a solution to this, which is, uh, constantly repairing the wall with a ranger team. However, the problem with this is you can't tell a ranger team to repair a wall until the wall is a little bit broken. (laughs) And by the time the ranger team has driven there, Hmm. it might have finished doing the rest of the damage to get through the wall. So it's a bit of stopgap solution. And there is no way to tell a ranger team to just stay in this area and be ready. (laughs) They are either going to do a thing or they are going home. And that is the terms of their union agreement with the... (laughs) And so, but there is a way around this. You can either manually control the jeep and sit in the pen and just press the wall forever. But that's boring, obviously, and you can't see any of the, and you can't interact with any of the game element when that's happening. The actual solution to this is build gates into the Velociraptor pen. It doesn't matter how close they are, how long they're open, because they open when a Jeep is nearby, but when they're open, so you can manually open them, but if they, if you put a Jeep nearby, they will open to let the Jeep through. But for the game's logic, they count as closed. If you click on them, you can then still choose to open them, even though they're technically open, because that open state is simply just a kind of visual effect that allows Jeeps to go through them. So you can sit there with the, the gate open, the Velociraptor won't do anything, and drive the Jeep in. Then you sell the gate, and the Veloc- and the Jeep will then have a little exclamation mark over his head saying, I can't go home! And so the Jeep will just stay there forever with, with the Velociraptor, and the Velociraptor will ignore the Jeep because there's no way for the Velociraptors <laughs> or any of the dinosaurs to interfere with the Ranger teams whatsoever. They will never, ever, ever... Because famously in the Jurassic Park movies... <laughs> dinosaurs fa- leave the humans alone. Yeah, they just, <laughs> the staff any, never get They affected. respect the staff. That's the, the first thing you learn about the dinosaurs. Um, life respects the staff. And, um, I, see, I did assume that the staff would be kind of definitely eaten. Yeah, no. And like, um, no, they're, they're completely safe. Absolutely safe. The only stuff that aren't safe are the random scientist NPCs who presumably work there, but might 
be visitors in lab coats. There's no way to tell. <laughs> um, but no, the range team should be, so if you leave the range team in there and then just check every couple of seconds and every time the Velociraptor head butts a little dent in the wall, the range team just buffs it up. And then eventually the challenge is complete and your science team's like, good, you've really advanced dinosaur science. <laughs> Here's two million dollars <laughs> for two grumpy animals yeah um you advanced I, like fence science <laughs> or human resources <laughs> like um that's the game that it is uh, and that's the game that becomes and it's so incapable of uh, of the logic that passed most response but one thing i realized is that if it did support the kind of weird sense of accident and chance that is absurd in the movies it'd actually be the best game ever and uh because anything where like a thing can roll off another thing and activate a thing and that becomes a story you tell is actually amazing in video games, <laughs> even if it's terrible in films. And that is my hot take about it. It turns out games and films are really different and have different needs. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing I played, and did we talk about vampire at all? Vampire? No, I don't believe. The don't nod vampire game? Not recently. About it. Okay. Does anyone care about... Because it's don't nod's new game, it should... This yeah, should be, yeah. Should, but, I mean, there's something it about bad. it We've that watched the trailers makes me utterly yeah i i uh played it and reviewed it and, and finished it and it's a really interesting again interesting fairly i think it's one of the reasons i haven't been like rushing to to get these hot takes onto the pod because i like to recommend things and everything i played recently it's like oh wow well, that doesn't work <laughs> um and so i think vampire vampire's big idea is it's like a sort of a serious drama about being a vampire but the problem is there's a certain point that you can dilute the vampire fantasy to where it doesn't really work anymore. So if you think about it, like vampires, particularly it's not in Victorian setting, it's World War One. But if you think about it, vampires are like the fantasy there is it's all about the subversion of of social codes and values, Victorian values specifically, right? It's a being a vampire, you might be dead, but you're passionate and alive and feeding on blood and you know, there's lots of sort of you know there's a lot of things about vampires that are traditionally sexy or kind of, you know, enlivened, like a kind of, uh, there's sort of lust and violence and things. What if being a vampire was just really depressing for everybody and everybody was really sad? So you become a vampire and you immediately do some sort of like angry vampire related things in a cutscene. But then you get given a job, uh, your old job as a doctor. And then you're just a doctor and everyone just thinks you're a doctor. And that's fine. And so the game is split between two halves. One where you're just a doctor, just a regular doctor that no one can tell is a vampire. Working in a hospital, which seems like a weird place for a vampire to work, but there you go. Well, either great for a vampire or, yeah. but, but not good for a conflicted vampire. Yeah. And there's this sort of, uh, idea, and it's an ambitious idea that each of the game's four kind of hub parts of, uh, unrecognizable London, um, has like a, a social network in it of people who each have the interdependencies and each of them has a hidden backstory and a history. Um, and by talking to them, uh, you can uncover this history and occasionally compel them to tell you things about themselves. You could uncover facts from one person and take that fact and confront it to a different person and get some more facts from them. Uh, someone might be suffering from fatigue or a cold or bronchitis. You can go back to your vampire lab and use uh, chemicals that you find in bins to make medicine <laughs> that you give them. And they go, oh, thanks very much, doctor. I feel better now. Here's a fact about my wife. <laughs> and then, and then you go to a different person and say, did you know this person has a wife? And they say, Oh, well, here's a fact about my time in the army. And you, you assemble. And so this is part of the game. You assemble this lattice of social information. And the more you do this, the quality of the blood in each of these people increases. <laughs> 
my god. They I'm get, just uh... picturing the brainstorming session where they had to come up with the mechanics for this, and this is like hour 48. <laughs> so, can, can, yeah. can the stories increase the blood? <laughs> the stories make the blood the more, more, you, the more, more you blood? The more you understand somebody, the more, more it's worth feeding on the map. So here you go. So, and so all of this is building up to this moment where based on your level as a vampire, you can take an NPC mid-story they might be a plot critical although you're kind of gated for some of those plot critical ones and you can mesmerize them learn them into a dark corner and murder them and then next time you rest you wake up the following night and the game state will have changed people might have abandoned your part of the city or the security level might have dropped or you know you might have a material effect on london because of your choice to feed um which oh that's interesting and the reason this might be interesting is the in between districts of London, so you have like a little dock area and the hospital area, and a uh, sort of down like a uh, I think it's Whitechapel. It's really weirdly laid out. Uh, in between, London's not very big, but in the sort of like half miles between each thing are tangled streets, literally fucking full of infinite respawning vampire hunters, <laughs> and just like real London, yeah, and uh, standing next to them like sort of MMO mobs big packs of infinite respawning feral vampires and these there is a there's a feral vampire and a and a vampire hunter or maybe even four or five of each for every other resident of london (laughs) Uh, no one believes in vampires or understands what's going on and the idea is that everyone just assumes that this is happening because of the spanish flu and that <laughs> um, and so the, the other games, other big, so part of the game is, is in that sort of, uh, Life is Strange, sort of, uh, The Witcher kind of character RPG territory. The other half of it is Bloodborne, where you're in this town that's finished and like, and it's just <laughs> roaming mobs of weirdos who think you're a monster, which is a very Bloodborneian kind mm. of trope, except they are just blokes, um, from this order that hunt vampires very openly by night. Um, and they attack you on sight. They instantly recognize you. There's no dialogue with them whatsoever. They fight you. And there's a fighting system. It's very Dark Soulsy. And you deploy blood powers that pull, pull on your, um, your blood system. Um, but the interesting thing about it is there is, uh, you can level up your combat abilities and things, but the enemies are not leveled scaled, by which I mean certain areas are just kind of off limits. The same, there's not very many enemies, but in the docks, you might be okay fighting this camp of vampires. But that old man over there is being menaced by three level 17 feral vampires. And if you don't want him to die, if you want him to become an NPC that you can talk to about something and level up his blood or whatever, then you've got to rescue him that night or he's gone forever. And if you're not high enough level, well, shit, that's bad. So what you've got to do is eat an NPC. <laughs> um, in order one life for another exactly so that's the trade-off so the reason you power up these npcs is to lower the difficulty of combat the problem with this is no player will ever do this <laughs> no player will not just bash their head against that combat encounter for the mm. to get all of yeah, the rewards totally. rather than choose an npc to kill because every npc is actual content they are like boxes uh. of content and the game teases it into dependencies but doesn't fully detail them so you don't know what you're losing if you kill this yeah, person yeah. so you just never ever do so and presumably there's sort of like somewhere else in the world so you'd also have to go on a trek to go oh there's that npc so yeah you re- backtrack and stuff to go find them or whatever so uh i played it um basically all the way through without ever feeding on somebody outside of a forced cutscene where that happens with the exception of the fact so so that's that's issue one is there's no reason to ever actually feed on anybody. It felt like there were more issues in there. <laughs> yeah, there's more. But wait, so the other issue is that everyone in London is absolutely miserable. 
a hundred percent of the time uh-huh. and there's no real choice in conversation you have a conversation wheel but in order to get the max points you really need to talk through every option so you're really just clicking as the thing talks to you and this is not i think there is a case to be made for a dreary game or a gothic game or something but i've never i've never felt gothic expressed so miserably <laughs> Like there is no levity. There is no, there's no passion. Everyone is just sort of getting on with it. Like, Oh, the, I had some really not very good chips last it night. It is basically that. <laughs> like, but, chips. like, and there is, there are some, you know, there are tragic backstories, but almost like the universality of tragic backstories and some of it. And its strength is when those tragic backstories are just sort of human things that people are dealing with. And you happen to be their vampire doctor feeding them opium and listening to their stories. Um, and there are moments in it that it does work and where the character writing kind of has that sort of shades of, you know, why people like Life is Strange and that kind of thing. But it's such a weird set of design decisions. The other thing about it that's super, like, I've, I don't think I've ever encountered a game, and I'm going to say it, have bigger ludonarrative dissonance issues. <laughs> oh, no. I'm out of drink. <laughs> than, than this one does. Like, because you play this game where you're a sensitive surgeon talking to people trying to resolve interpersonal issues in the hospital like Dracula might. Um, and then you play this other game where you're this teleporting, blood-exploding, impaling vampire murder machine. And in that other game, a big part of the combat system is about stunning people. You have two types of damage. You have regular damage and stun damage. And any enemy in the game can be stunned. And when you stun them, uh, you can then feed on them in combat. And that's how you replenish your mana bar functionally. So the rhythm of combat, which can be fun, it's all right. It's not Souls tier, but it's all right, is stun, stun, feed. But individual enemies get more difficult to stun the more times you stun them. So combat against a mob of enemies is this game of like knowing who you haven't stunned a lot. So they're your next snack and kind of whittling down all these people. And it's really weird to ask the player to go like, what are the moral ramifications of feeding on the living in one section of the game? And in the other section of the game, it's literally about strategically eating non-fatally from lots of different people. And then you get weapons that are like, this weapon does stun damage and this weapon does actual damage. And some of that stuff makes sense when you're fighting vampires. Like a gun doesn't do a lot to a vampire, but it will stun them and long enough for you to feed from them. You can feed from other vampires. It's not weird. Um, but it also, but there's no differentiation between human enemies. So if you shoot a human four or five times, congratulations, you've stunned him enough <laughs> in order to feed him. But this allows you to then kill him with your melee weapon, a surgical saw. <laughs> and anyway, then that gets you all the way to Whitechapel, where there's a florist with an interesting story to tell. <laughs> that part of the masquerade, once eventually fixed by fan-made patches and things actually yep. dealt with this correctly completely uh, and yeah the, god vampire masquerade is so much a better game uh, with exactly the same premise pretty was, much was was vampire trying to do vampire masquerade i think so like yeah you're saying something like, so. uh yeah i mean vampire the masquerade had fucking awful combat and you could break your game by picking it like there's so much wrong with that game in terms of the combat but in terms of how it you know, dealt out consequences for attacking people as a vampire and how the whole social facade you're presenting as a vampire is so important to that game. And there are different classes you can choose that mean that you appear differently as a vampire. So if you appear as like a, a, the equivalent of a feral vampire, you can't just go out in public because you look like a shriveled monster. So you, you play through the entire RPG 
hugging, you know, underground, going underground to sewers. And that's the way you play in, in that character. But in a different character where you're very glamorous and you're able to charm people, you're suddenly allowed to you know, go to the upper echelons of uh, huge kind of corporate buildings and, and charm people there. And it really kind of, there's, there are more great vampire games to be made about the kind of the fantasy of being a vampire in its various different forms. Mm. Uh, but it shouldn't probably have combat systems where you're brutalizing loads of dudes. It just doesn't seem to be part of it. It's this problem of like, it's really not important that you're a vampire in this game at all, really, which seems like a misstep. Like, I, I feel like I've dunked on it a lot and it's so ambitious in terms of what it wants to do, but it just feels very, I don't know, I don't want this to come across as ad hominem because I mean it from a design perspective. It feels very naive to assume that players aren't going to try and avoid negative consequences, right? Like it wants to make you feel the curse of the vampire by, oh, I've befriended this person, this mortal person, but to me they're ultimately but cattle because I have to eat them so I can fight that ghoul. And you don't, you just grind out the fight because and then, and it does the, and this is an issue really that inherits from Dishonored more than anything else. It does that thing of like, oh, the best ending. Better hope you didn't kill too many of those civilians. And you kind of know it's going to be that way from the start because all video games are like that. And so that's locking something players will want mm-hmm. behind a door marked, please don't engage with our most ambitious system <laughs> at all if yeah. you can avoid it. Um, you know, because there are consequences. It really invests in this. Like you get newspaper clippings based on like what you did and didn't do and stuff. And some of it, it's meaningful. Some of it's a bit railroady behind the scenes, but like, you know, there's, it's like, oh man, it's sort of once it's this game where it like wants you to feel the consequences of being a vampire, but it also, they really want you to have a meaningful conversation with a priest. So you have this really awkward conversation in the doorway of a church because where you have to first explain like, I'm sorry, I can't come in. <laughs> and the priest's like that's okay my it's pissing down at rain and it's like that's okay my son we'll we'll talk here i suppose <laughs> like in the doorway <laughs> it's weird because it feels like games like um the wolf among us does this better that yeah. kind of yeah where yeah if it's just like a straightforward narrative game where do you want your best your side to trump this mm. conversation or not that's you know it actually gets down to the hub of it and doesn't distract you with these yeah and i should decisions. say like some of the writing is is is, is good like mm. you know it has like it it's just it's the wrong series of buckets to put that stuff in. Mm-hmm. And I find that, I find that really fascinating as a problem because I really wanted it to be good. Cause I, you know, I, I think it also feels like I step backwards in some ways because people sort of fell in love with don't nod and because of life is strange and because life is strange, what life was life of strange life is strange was not, uh, it, you know, it was, it felt very fresh. It was, you know, people had not, you know, it was derivative in its own way of, you know, uh, Twin Peaks and Donnie Darko and, and a bunch of different things, but it, those were not familiar ground for games. Whereas this is an action RPG where you're a vampire and it has its own ideas, but you, they need to be brilliant for it to stand out above the crowd of brown mm. games where you're a big sad man you're also extremely tall and like you, you don't change when you're a vampire physically so you just must have been extremely tall and it's a bit disconcerting like they've made the model too big and that's a very narrow bone to pick and i guess it's fine that he's just an extremely tall man but you literally tower over every other character in the game like children it's really weird also you've got a very modern hair i was gonna say yeah, yeah. did you did the hair upset you because it, it is so incredibly it's modern so there's it's it's version of London is so off that it's historical sort of authenticity. 
Well, I'll put it this way. It opens with a cutscene where you are kind of uh, assaulted by the mysterious vampire who sires you, at which point your main character, Dr. Jonathan Reed, shouts, but I've got so much left to do! <laughs> which puts it within Castlevania territory to the point that you don't question any of its vampire decisions. <laughs> After that point, its opening is really, is, is corny, but quite effective cinematically. Um, into how it presents your like bloodthirst, and then it's just so dumb that your bloodthirst as a mechanic doesn't return except in cutscenes. Like there's a there's an amazingly unintentionally funny bit where you have to step in on an emergency surgery on someone who's dying in this cl- underfunded clinic, and like halfway through the surgery, I think someone nicks an artery or something, and your vision goes into like hungry, 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 hungry mode, <laughs> like, <laughs> and you have to like choose a dialogue option, like keep this your shit together, or like ask all the nurses to leave, <laughs> like because you're a big hungry vampire surgeon, and maybe this was the wrong job. <laughs> oh god! Out of ten, what would you give it? Fred? Five. No, okay, I did give it five for it. <laughs> <laughs> Seems reasonable. Oh, I've rambled about vampire too much. That's enough rambling from me. Shall we do some questions? Because it's too hot in here and we all want to go away. It's getting hot in here. So, so let's talk about some games. <laughs> nice. I'm not going to have to do the intro song on this one. That makes it sound like I do the intro song on each one. No, we don't. We use a piece of music from Cambobo and the Bully and Um But I'm not going to have to... Oh, shut up, Chris. <laughs> shut up, Chris. This is what happens when you overheat a human being. Yeah. First question comes from Andrew, who writes, Dear Crate and Crowbar, the most recent discussion about House Flipper got me thinking about a very similar game, Car Mechanic Simulator, a game about clicking on parts of a car to repair and replace them. Its interactions are very simple, and there's not much of a challenge to it. Yet, unlike Pip and House Flipper, I find myself quite captivated by taking rusty virtual cars and turning them into shiny virtual cars. So to my question... Have any of you found yourself playing something that you know is not a great game, but find yourself giving it a free pass because you enjoy the window dressing? Probes Away, Andy. Andy's uh, uh, sign-off of Probes Away makes me think that he knows that I'm going to talk about Bioware games. (laughs) Because I know this is true of Dragon Age Inquisition. And Mass Effect, to be honest. And Mass Effect 1 particularly, to be honest. But I like it a lot. And you could describe... But at that point, aren't you not describing story as window dressing? And haven't we got beyond that with games? Don't we now factor stories, or in some cases, an entire film? as <laughs> like a vital part of the game, not simply to be ignored. I don't know. There was a question mark there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so there's just no answers this week. What is it? It's, is this about effort for? So it's no. It's, it's, it, uh, what it's kind of... so what games do you like simply because ultimately there's something you enjoy about the the aesthetics or the feel or the, the fantasy I think, of it? I think uh, that Yakuza okay. the fact that Yakuza definitely there. fits into this because mm. you know Yakuza you are watching a lot of cutscenes. Yeah, it's yeah. very cutsceney. Um, what you're actively doing at any time is mostly rushing, running between one place and another on a quite a small map mm. and getting into fights on the way. And the fights are all more or less identical. Mm. But it's got so much heart that, that it just, does, I find it, mm. in, you know, immensely enjoyable. Yeah, that's a good shout. And this isn't a piece of game, but PN03. Oh yeah, that's a good one. That's the perfect example. This yeah. for me where like, um, it's a frustrating kind of rhythm. It's basically a rhythm 
game like you could you you could dress it up as a like a, a pop idol game if you wanted to and mm. put different inputs in it's basically the same game but actually it, it pictures it as you're this kind of awesome futuristic warrior and you're darting out the way of uh robots trying to shoot you and firing back and, and it all matches to this kind of music uh, as you go through it and the simple just the aesthetics of it pulled me through that even though as a game like uh, the nuts and bolts of the game were very frustrating and kind of irritating in lots of ways mm. the, the short the pure kind of like the dressing of it and the way it kind of made me feel and you know yeah that, it just so gave that, fits extra... with, that fits with uh, one of the other games in that sort of series what was it called the Capcom whatever it was for the GameCube all these games that came out from Cap- they're all really creative there was the one by Suda51 Killer is Dead? No, not Killer No is More Dead. Heroes? No, 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 that was later. Killer 7? Killer 7. Oh, I love Killer 7. <laughs> so Killer 7, like, again, the moment to moment mechanics, not that good. Yeah. Even the navigation, the navigation is actually pretty cool, but it was just this sort of, you know, you were choosing your routes through. It branched in kind of weird, interesting ways. Yeah, weird kind of rails that you're on, but, um, but like the style and the kind of the sheer weird atmosphere of it. Yeah, and the kind of it was weirdly subversive as well. I mean, actually, we had Richard Sanson on the podcast, and he, he threatened to fight anyone who liked Killer Seven on, the, on that podcast. <laughs> and I was sitting right next to him at the time. I was like, shit, I really like that game. Actually, like, <laughs> and obviously, like, um, I, I know fight trumpet is, is that's the beginning of the guile theme. <laughs> it's a real, it's a really kind of rote. Uh, on rails action shooter in lots of ways but actually I really like those games yeah. I was in Western Super Mare earlier this week Western uh, Ultra Mare <laughs> and, uh, which is like a classic British seaside town and we went into some arcades and they had um, Time Crisis there yeah. they had Evil Dead mm, 2 and there. 3 there and uh, I've suddenly realised how much I loved light gun games yeah. and mm. uh, I've always I've always loved light gun games and Killer 7 actually didn't come with light gun attachments or anything but it had that kind of feel to it but instead of being a kind of over the top ludicrous kind of absurd you know uh, like pantomime type of thing it was about suicide bombers and terrorists and just dark kind of people's inner psyche that they just couldn't come to terms with and their, their personalities split into all these different characters that you yeah. played as and yeah that's that mashup of elements was was fascinating to me i don't think it ever came to pc so i apologize i apologize for talking about it but it, that is a cool game do you know what i think it might be coming to pc <gasps> really i'm gonna look it up <laughs> have we broken Tom, have you ever been really just like immune to a game's flaws because of a fantasy? Because you strike me as the person who's least likely <laughs> to do that. Well, as, as we were talking about this, I started to think about Neon Struct, actually, because I mentioned it earlier. Mm. This is the indie uh, stealth first-person game from David Pittman. Um, and I think... I, like, I did play that all the way through, and it was... I don't really like the mechanics. It's a hardcore stealth game. You're not meant to kill anyone. You're not meant to take anyone out. It's meant to leave all the people alive and just try and get past them mm. by weaving through gaps in their patrol routes and just hoping they don't see you when you go past, like, later. Um, and instead, I just sort of, I grumpily tase most of them and then got <laughs> a C rating on every mission. And I didn't really like, like, and it's just got very little else going on. There's a couple of gadgets and that's it. And none of them let you do anything interesting. But I love the look of it. And it's got this, like, it's all at night. It's all uh, got this really lo-fi, 
uh, but beautiful um, aesthetic where all the buildings are chunky. They're made out of one meter square cubes, like Minecraft levels, um, but they're all lit in this very moody way. And it's just kind of, like, it's kind of noir, I suppose. Mm. Um, everyone's wearing Google Glass headsets because <laughs> that's a, um, I guess it explains your HUD and it's part of the fiction that you work for a company like that. Um, and yeah, just the aesthetic was really nice. And I think I was always going to play all the way through that game unless it really stopped me with some huge difficulty spike just because I liked the way it looked and felt. Mm. Mm. I just checked Killer 7 is coming to PC yes nice or not nice nice. (laughs) next question comes from Diffraction Man who writes hello rate my crowbar I sympathize with Chris's need to play all the games in his series before into the sequel as I've just caught up on this year's podcasts having been deprived of them and now I feel able to ask a question do you wish more stuff in games worked within the world rather than being just art? Doors that are just a texture among the worst examples, but I stare at control panels lazily strewn about a level and think, what are these supposed to be for? What need is there for the barrels of volatile explosives to be here in this office? What are the best examples of games where objects have a purpose? And what are the worst? Uh, I just want an immersive sim where I can break something with a literal spanner in the works. Hang on. Where I can break something with a literal spanner in the works. Or a badly sequenced series of commands into a control panel. Is that much too much to, is that too much to ask, Tom Francis? (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) You've been called out here. Uh, I jest. All the best. That rhymes. (laughs) Diffracty. I made all immersive sims, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, well, Well, we're getting there. Control panels. You just wait. I think eating shit out of a bin in a immersive sim needs to stop. Like, it mostly has, but even then, dishonored. That's uh, actually these moments. That's like an example of something being too functional. Like in real life, a bin isn't really functional for that. Yeah, yeah. In games, you can get nutritious. That's not where that goes, Ken. Um, Um, I I like interactive things. I I actually uh, I'm an outlier in the. group of people who are obsessed with immersive sims and that i don't really care about super interactive bathrooms i'm afraid i know it's a, big, I know it's a, t- a hot button topic in this this field i, I know i'll be crucified for this Brendan i don't really Chan. mind if you can't flush the toilet i don't really mind if the tap doesn't work it's fine uh but actually i agree um with diffraction man that uh i'm all for more mechanical things and levels that do have some effects mm. like even if it's a minor thing even just like um oh shit what game is it uh that I played not too long ago where every... I think it's Dishonored, actually. Every clock, you can interact with it and you just set a timer for, like, 10 seconds and it'll just sound yeah, a bell yeah. in 10 seconds' time. And that is of some mechanical usefulness. That will distract yeah, yeah. a guard. And I, I don't, I don't yeah. know if I ever used it, but I like that it was there. As a, like a, as a sort of middle ground between infinite systemic potential that no one will ever reach and, yeah, and having stuff feel interactive. I like... Um, you know, I don't want, I don't expect games to have a thing where pressing E on something is used to any degree of freedom. I, I'm happy for E to mean use like a spy or use as an assassin might or whatever, yeah. whoever I am in that scenario. So it's like Hitman's a good example of this, right? Like you have quite a lot of verbs you can apply to objects in the environment, but they typically it's just one year Hitman related, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, mm. so it's like you can like ring doorbell or like, I don't know. Pick up glass. Yeah, like, but there's always like a, a lethal, you know, your job is very clear, right? It's not like clean glass, put glass down. It's profitable life as dishwasher. I do feel strongly that pianos always have to be playable mm. to some extent. You have to play. It's exactly. fine if it's just the clang. <laughs> like yeah. the clang. <laughs> well, no, there's a, it, the correct 
video game law way of doing this is it's clang. Second press is clang. Third press is alternate clang. Fourth press is three notes from the game's theme tune. <laughs> and then clang and then... <laughs> Do you see the gif of someone playing um, the Sapienza level of episodic Hitman? And they just play the church organ again and again, yeah. no matter how many times the guard warns them about it. And eventually the guards just gun them down. <laughs> this is bad enough. That it's come to this. I'm sorry. That, that is fantastic. But that would happen though, wouldn't it? Like if you just kept doing it. It's like, if you tried that and you didn't get shot, you just didn't do it enough. <laughs> Phantom of the Opera Origins. Um, yeah, anyone else got any, any takes for this? Um, worst examples of art as asset or art as not a mechanic oh, there's uh, a game where you play as oh god it's like a world war 2 game and I'm going to describe this in the vaguest terms so please help yep. me out uh, and you play as a woman who like uh, uh, Velvet Assassin, Velvet Assassin. <laughs> yeah you got it you got it already a world war 2 game in which you play as a woman oh it must be <laughs> Velvet Assassin <laughs> the only game and uh, yes in that game I think it was that game you go into like uh, Nazi bunkers and there are just the largest watermelons. <laughs> just huge, shiny watermelons. And they, they made this one asset. And they're like, well, we can't afford to make any more, perhaps. So let's just <laughs> randomly put these around, <laughs> around these places. It's the frustration that you can't interact with them. Well, are they are they kind of bobbable in the no, way that all see, video game watermelons are like... They, yeah. They're bobble. not even physics objects. That's how, Fuck. That's oh, how little what? attention to detail. Ever since Metal Gear 2, like, you can't... You've got to be able to slice or... You've got to be able to slice it or yeah. kick it off you somewhere. You've got to bring watermelons to World War Two. You've got to be able to slice them. It it's Paris as well, isn't it? So there's not, like, sort of... Yeah, like one yeah. local... Watermelons yeah. in occupied Paris. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Wow. Yeah. That's good. That is a good example. <laughs> That is a very good example. I got nothing. Oh, good. All right. This is the next question. <laughs> it comes from uh, uh, David Bove, who writes... Oh, I did a surname. I don't know how to do a surname. That was a hmm. mistake. Oops. Hi, all, which hopefully includes Alex and Tom F. It does. Wow. Ooh. Firstly, a big thanks to Tom F. for making his great Game Maker tutorials. If you're interested in learning about learning... If you're interested in learning more about procedural generation, I'm in the middle in the middle of procedural gener- blah, blah, blah. I'm in the middle of procedural general, but I think that might be a typo. Procedural <laughs> yeah. generation in game design, edited by Tanya X Short and Tarn Adams, which has a lot of great ideas in it. Although some of the chapters could use more meat on the bones. So there's a little book review there in the middle of this question. Why not? <laughs> on to the question. In episode two three nine, Alex talked about his experience of the quiet sleep. The use of traditional game mechanics to represent part of a character's psyche sounded very interesting. It reminded me of the excellent Immortal Defense. Don't watch the trailer, it has massive spoilers. An excellent tower defense game that turns parts of your character's personality into towers. Hmm. It also has a wonderfully weird story that's hard to explain without spoiling it. Have any of you played it? No. I'm no. writing it down, though. Yeah, that's good. That's Immortal, Immortal defense. defense. Thanks for that recommendation. Barring the upcoming Disco Elysium, what games do a good or interesting job of exploring the emotional depth of their characters? Uh, and that's from Dave. Um, and then he has two extended PS factual corrections, which I will read very quickly. Okay. But they're, but they're, they're warranted. 
Um, P.S. The term boots on the ground refers to ground forces that are currently deployed in a conflict. I think we did know this. We did say that. We Americans say the term a lot in the course of our country's goal of having a military presence for other people to be blown up. Incidentally, with the announcement of the new Space Force, apparently we're also going to be protecting people, where, protecting force where there are currently only a handful of people to blow up. Anyway, hearing boots on the ground lets us know there are American soldiers blowing stuff up in some non-American part of the globe, but close in a personal manner and bombarded them rather than aerial slash offshore bombardment by drone. Our official motto, America, fuck yeah, is one word too long. P.P.S. This is in reference to an early Little Grey Cells episode, but here it goes. When Pyro makes a dish of rabbit for Hastings, and Hastings proclaims it's the most rabbity rabbit he's ever had, Pyro credits the juniper berries. Tom F. quipped that it was probably the rabbit. Food snob that he is, Pyro is right. Juniper berries are often used when cooking game meat in their piney notes. Dovetail nicely with the game's natural flavours. <laughs> Sorry, I missed what I did there. <laughs> Juniper's good with rabbits. rabbit. Yeah. Okay, did I say it wasn't? <laughs> you made a quip that suggested that it was the rabbit that was rabbity, but actually the rabbitiness of the rabbit was a quality brought out by the juniper berries. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's like our listeners are very attentive, yeah. which is which is great. But I wanted to knock you down a peg here, Tom, because of the next question. <laughs> Good. <laughs> You'll find out why. Um, so nonetheless, the actual question back then was... Uh, uh, which is a good question. Games do an interesting job of exploring the emotional depth of their characters. Yeah, I was thinking about um, this is actually a game that I think is quite close to the Quiet Sleep, but um, Cultist Simulator, which is sort of mm. where you're grappling with kind of your character's needs as you're kind of investigating the elder Yeah, the sort of systematization system of fuck it. The game stuff about the inner feelings... <laughs> Is a thing uh, <laughs> in that game. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I utterly agree. <laughs> Brought it home. <laughs> um, do you know what I replayed a little bit of recently? I don't want to crib I wrote about this for PCG, but I don't want to uh, crib about it too much. Crib from it too much, but I replayed bits. Of, fuck, what is going on? No, it's um, very, very, very hot. I replayed bits hot. of Ice Pick Lodge's The Void. Oh yeah, I which is a game, game about where you have died and you're in the underworld and you've got to sap color and form make color gardens in order mm. to feed color to nude women for some reason. So you're <laughs> not hunted by Pan's labyrinthy uh, weirdos. Um, and the notion is that you're exploring aspects here in psyche, that the colors that you harvest change things about the world, uh, in, in conjunction to the virtues they represent. There's a sort of like, sort of existential kind of aspect to this. And what's really interesting is it's precise metaphor is something that occurs in a lot of other, com- um, contexts. Torment Tides of Numenera has a system where your inner qualities as a person are mapped onto specific colors that have a kind of practical effect in the world, which is basically exactly the same metaphor. Um, Disco Elysium, which is mentioned in this question, doesn't quite have a color thing, but it does map colors to your individual kind of inner processes. So this sort of idea, this kind of like, I don't know, sort of psychedelic kind of ontology thing where you're talking about like what if your feeling of needing a poo as a person or whatever what color would that be right um, yeah obviously um it's a thing <laughs> it's a thing but it's yeah unrefined in the void i think surprisingly so it might be a bit of a stretch but i always had a feeling that uh, the hitman games were trying to uh communicate something about your mm. character's psyche through how they portrayed not him but the world and so in Hitman 2, I think it is, almost every mission is in a foreign country where no one speaks your language. And so all the barks are just, you don't know what the hell they're saying. Mm. And it emphasizes your disconnection from everyone. Like you are, in the Hitman games, you're this weird clone and you're, I think you're asexual as far as we know. And you're very kind of inhuman. You're just cut off from everyone. You can't really relate to anyone. Mm. You're a sociopath, for sure. <laughs> um, and that kind of underscores that. And then in Blood Money, 
they go really big on sex like everyone is as a sort of grossly exaggerated body and uh a lot of them are semi-naked and they just talk about sex all the time in a way that at first you think it's the, like the developers trying to titillate you in some way and then it just gets kind of like obscene and totally off-putting and unsexy there's nothing kind of uh, arousing about any of it it's all just grotesque and it feels like how um someone who doesn't understand sex and can't relate to it at all would see people flirting with each other and mm. and uh making mm. advances and stuff it all just seems like like they're weirdly obsessed with it and it's all kind of disgusting mm. there's an interesting like it's interesting to me that particularly in the era when blood money was released that feels like a stylistic device too sophisticated for games <laughs> not that the games yeah, shouldn't, can't go there so. but it's like everything else in the industry sabotages that the ability for that to be like a comment a comment because yeah. it's like yeah. everyone else is just doing it because it'll sell games you see you see a screenshot of hitman 2 and it's you know and it's kind of got well no you have the hitman 3 sorry of blood money sorry and uh four of <laughs> <laughs> one of the pool scenes and it's just got sort of bikini yeah women yeah. and you kind of think Yep, that's that's very much part of the time. I like to imagine it's just sort of like one or maybe two people on that team had this thought and they mm. were the ones trying to make it as sort of a message and probably that maybe some higher-ups were like, no, it's got to have tits in it. <laughs> <laughs> but you look, it's just like the um, that woman by the pool who has huge tits, like in a very kind of like artificial uh, body. She's also just got this like furious scowl on her face. It's like, then doesn't feel like they're trying to make her look sort of pretty and alluring. She seems really pissed off and hates yeah. everyone. Hmm. Yeah, like the intention, I think you probably, I don't think you're being too generous. Like, I think that is what they were going for. It's just that the, the effect environment for yeah. most, most players. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's actually compounded by things like the void. Like, the void really frustrates me because it has really good ideas, yeah. but it's kind of insertion of, and I, and then, you know, I think I put it this way in PCG, but like, they feel like sort of stock blender asset library pinup women in a game that is otherwise very imaginatively inventing inventive feels so like if there's a point that is sort of lurking in there somewhere about, you know, it, well, if there's a point about gender there, then it's not a good one. And if there's a point about sex there, then like it's, it's so ineffective because there's a, a dearth of imaginative invention when it comes to that specific thing, and it feels like it's just there for titillation to sell copies of the game. Uh, the Void is actually one of the reasons I have a job at PC Gamer. Because <laughs> when I went for a job that Rich McCormick eventually got, and that I was still kind of like seconded and brought in as freelance because, should I promise, or whatever, mm. during that period, is because I wrote a review of The, the Void huh, that's as a, my That's hard game. mode. Um, which that's what I was going for, right? Yeah, nice. That's how you do it. <laughs> and, um, just apparently like the explanation of it was interesting enough to make it relevant to the audience and that was impressive. But the, the main thing I kind of drew from that game was that it was one of the first games I played where the difficulty particularly was part of the message. Yeah. And this is, this was way before Dark Souls. So yeah, like this is way so before like Dark Souls read, did that shit. Read their back next month, right? I, that, <laughs> that comparison came to me as well. Like, yeah, yeah, it is pre Dark Souls mechanics of the message. Yeah, stuff. Totally. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but I, with I, weird cheesecake. Yeah, with weird like the imagery is is very strange, and I kind of one of the things I really dig about the voice is actually the way it uh, presents a type of masculine aggression with its monsters, uh, which is kind of enticing and fascinating but then it just makes the women the 
just classic kind of Gaia models that the, the passive Gaia kind of elements that always yeah, tend to, they uh, tend to fall into it. It's, it's kind of frustrating. It, it is frustrating. Well. It's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a cool game though. I think it's, mm. I'm really glad it exists. Well, I like that there's a through line, like some of those ideas, it's, it's good ideas feel present to me in things like Disco Elysium. It's ideas about mm. like, and I know there's a, there's a, at least a kind of conversational link between Studios Alm and Icepick Lodge. Like there are, there are sort of, similarities of approach there but disco elysium feels like a similar kind of artistic mindset being applied to a similar set of ideas several years down the line when Mm. people have realized that games don't need this like element of uh, titillation whatever form to be video games Mm. you know you can just tell a story about grown-ups experiencing grown-up things hmm hmm last question and the reason that i was happy for uh, well, not happy, but like uh, willing to see Tom Francis get a kind of juniper berry related correction. The last one is because of this incredible email. Okay. Um, which re- is from Daniel and reads, Hello all. I was listening to the Final Games podcast, specifically the episode with Harvey from Arcane Studios. That's Harvey Smith who uh, made uh, Deus Ex and Dishonored. Um, while talking about other developers... Uh, Tom Francis got mentioned by him. He went on to say that listening to Tom Francis talk about games is like listening to Martin Scorsese talk about films. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I needed to bring you down a notch. (laughs) (laughs) But I did fuck up that Juniper Berries thing. (laughs) Being a relatively new listener, I didn't expect that kind of comparison. (laughs) Yeah, you're not alone Uh, there. (laughs) So my question, and I love this question. My question is, how true is that? And what are the others' reactions to Harvey Smith saying something like this? <laughs> I like this whole question is, can you believe this shit? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so Tom, how true is that? You know what? I don't think I've ever heard Martin Scorsese talk about films. Maybe Neither he of sucks us. at it. <laughs> like, uh, you know, you put the people on the screen. You just point a camera at the guys. They do the acting. It's fine. Yeah. Oh, come on. <laughs> uh no, what a lovely thing to say. Uh, I don't know if it's more, more, it's like, it's Harvey Smith, like, yeah. Tom loves Deus Ex so much. <laughs> I <laughs> and do. Dishonored. Yeah. I, yeah, that was just a nice thing. I thought it was a nice thing yeah. to read out, really. I don't think we necessarily need to respond to the actual substance of the question other than, good. Thanks, Harvey. Well, thanks, Harvey. Harvey's a, a, a lovely man. Yes. Yeah. Very much. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and hopefully a true thing he said. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of good Scorsese content in this podcast, if yeah. that's true. I have no idea. This is the key thing. I have no idea what Martin Scorsese talk about film sounds like. <laughs> he, um, he talks about films very well, unfortunately. Does he? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it's just See, a massive well, compliment all along. Yeah, we're in this kind of like weird, kind of awkward compliment trap now. It's very hot in here, and someone's been paid a genuine, very nice compliment, oh. and none of us know what to do about so it. Let's yeah, get out of the room. Really yeah. I guess we should I'm end the podcast. not to get any con- eye contact now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I do, I do hope that long-term listeners do enjoy the summer podcasts because I think there's a certain free song. I think we all go a little bit weird when, it <laughs> when it's just too hot. Yeah, it's, it's too hot. It's just it's like, too hot. I don't know how we can get in this situation where we, like, it's not a good gimmick that we drink. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly because that. everyone's looking increasingly aged. Exactly. The- right. You know, like, it's not, that's not clever. And it's, but it's funny to me. That our messiest podcasts are when it's a bit hot out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. 
All right. Good All right. Everyone's very sleepy. It's time to bring this to an end. That's actually our last question. I saved it for last because it was a nice compliment. And I had a feeling that would kill the podcast. <laughs> um, if you would like to send us a question, but please not a nice compliment or even a relayed compliment <laughs> that you don't understand. Um, I, I'd love, I'd love a compliment. Oh, oh, Alex, oh. You, you bring a special disruptive energy to every episode of the podcast. You're on. You're the only one of us. Who knows what Martin Scorsese sounds like talking about films. Oh, I've got that. <laughs> Special got that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, if you'd like to send us a question for a future episode of the podcast, you can email us a question at Croton Crow. Fuck. Croak. Croton Crowbar. Can someone open a window in here? For fuck. fuck's sake. <laughs> fuck. You can email us at questions at crateandcrowbar.com. You can also tweet us at crateandcrowbar. Enunciate, Chris. You can do this. You can find us on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash crate and crowbar. You can also find us on Patreon. Thanks very much to all of our Patreon backers and sorry. Just, <laughs> just sorry. <laughs> Patreon.com forward slash crate and crowbar. I thought you said in sorry. I thought we were doing like a regional. <laughs> in sorry. <laughs> Thanks. This week it's sorry we care about. <laughs> Thank you to our Patreon backers in sorry. <laughs> You're the real Martin Scorsese's. <laughs> <laughs> receiving your money is like receiving money from Martin Scorsese. <laughs> we wouldn't really know. <laughs> and neither would he. It's really good to receive money from Martin Scorsese. <laughs> Alex is the only one who knows this. That's the guiltless gear. Because <laughs> he was paid by Martin Scorsese to say how good Martin Scorsese is at talking about films. You're in deep with Big Scorsese. <laughs> and if you're not careful, your source is going to be everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean blood. We don't use that word that way. It's bolognese. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> we need to stop. <laughs> if you'd like to find us individually on social media, I am accessible on Twitter at C Thurston. That's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N by... <laughs> <laughs> Tom, I, any Tom? Uh, I am at Pentadact on Twitter. P e n t a d a c t. I Tom Senior am at PCG Ludo, which is P C G obviously. L U D O. And you can finger me at rotation. <laughs> Rotational. Rotational. <laughs> Good. <laughs> My floating cubes are ready. Uh, it's too hot. It's too hot. And Stop with it. apologies to Martin Scorsese. <laughs> and everyone who's listening. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah.